You're not in this story. Yeah, well, we're making it up as we go. Hello and welcome to Making It Up As We Go, a Destiel fan fiction anthology podcast. We're making it up as we go. I'm your host and reader, Nerdy Nerdenstein. The story is ours now. You can't have it back. Please be warned that the stories featured can and will contain explicit sexual content and is not intended for young audiences. Today I'll be reading White Dress Shirt by Fleece Frame. The rating for this fic is general audiences. The pertinent tags for this fic include alternate universe canon divergence, set after Cass's death in 1223 and then resurrection in 1305, emotional hurt comfort, Dean Winchester has panic attacks, first kiss, 1306 tombstone coda, basically what would have happened if Dean had confessed after Cass's resurrection. Waiting up, saving all my precious time. Losing light, I'm missing my same old us. Before we learned our truth too late. Resigned to fade, fading away. So tell me, can you turn? White Dress Shirt, written by Fleece Frame, read for you by Nerdy Nerdenstein. The drive home had taken so long in the same way that it hadn't existed at all. White dashes blurring into one continuous line that led back to the bunker, the only thing keeping Dean moving straight, moving forward and not floating from the front bench into the back seat the way he wants to. Instead, he lets Sam do most of the talking. He doesn't even chance turning his head towards the passenger side where the conversation is stemming from too afraid of what he'll do if he catches the sight of Castiel's face from the periphery of his vision. Whether he'll smile too wide or start crying or crash the car into the guardrails to either side of him. He sort of remembers making it back to the bunker, pulling into the massive garage and locking up shop. He sort of remembers that Sam had been telling Cass about the new cafe that had opened in town that looked promising. It seems so inconsequential that it almost makes Dean's teeth grind even though he's not actually angry or all that annoyed about something he would usually pretend to be annoyed about. Instead, the conversation about the difference between flat whites and cappuccinos makes Dean want to take Sam by the shoulders and start shaking. Jesus Christ, he's alive. Cass is alive, and you're talking about coffee? This is... this is... The words stay lodged in his throat, and the imaginary action stays loaded in the barrel of his fingers. He's quiet through the doorway, down the hall, walking a few paces ahead of the two of them. It's about milk consistency, Sam says. A flat white is basically the same thing as a latte, but the ratio of milk to espresso is different. A latte has more milk and a flat white has less, which gives you a stronger coffee taste. And a cappuccino, Cass prompts. The muscles between Dean's shoulder blades twitch until they're pulling too tight just to loosen again. Cass's voice feels like a dream at Dean's back, no face to match it, and Dean could convince himself that he's still asleep as he stares down towards the end of the hallway that leads into the map room. The presence of Cass's absence that was so wide it became physical has a voice now, and that voice is asking about milk consistency. I had to burn your body. I had to be the one to drop that lighter. 
Do you think I'd ever let Sam do it? Do you think he would have even tried to offer? I was the one who wrapped your body. Just me. I looked at you. I looked at your face. For once, I let myself. Only brave enough to admit that I wanted to look after you'd already vacated the premise. It's not an epiphany as much as it's a shame game. Shame for the feelings he has and shame for feeling shame about them. Has he finally gotten sick of pretending that this was ever about anything other than loving the dumb son of a bitch? It's a bitter pill to swallow and it chafes against his frankly disturbing fragile masculinity. But it goes all the way down with the spoonful of honey that is Cass's return to the living. A distinct plop where it has landed in Dean's belly. Of course, Sam didn't wrap Cass's body. Of course, Sam didn't drop the lighter. Cappuccinos are like foamy. The baristas aerate the milk so it gets frothy on top. It's good. They were my favorite for a while once I started buying myself nicer coffee. That all seems slightly redundant. Why don't you just say you want more or less milk? Why are there different names for something that is basically the same thing with different measurements? Sam laughs. I don't know, and I'm too afraid to ask at this point, Cass. Cass. Dean thinks as he emerges into the map room with Sam, and they trail at his heels. Cass. That's a name I haven't said in over a month. And a name that no one else has said around me because they were scared of the reaction I would have. And it's all fair enough, because those people were probably right. And maybe Dean did beat his own knuckles bloody against the wooden sign with the pirate on it. That day feels so far off, but it also feels exactly the same as ten hours ago, when Cass was still dead and Dean was stupidly, desperately sick in love and tragedy. Like a goddamn Shakespeare play. The ones that are almost so sad that they become funny again. They've all stopped in the map room now like none of them are quite sure what to do. The road was a liminal space that gave easily to the miracle of Cass's second lease on life. But the bunker has no wiggle room in its concrete structure. Sam and Cass are still chatting, but it's not as smooth or playful as it had just been. And Dean feels like he's haunting the conversation from a few feet away. A pillar of dreadful energy and terrifying affection that he can't let out. I'm going to hit the hay. Dean knows that he said it, and he knows that he thought to say it but the words still feel like they're coming out of someone else's mouth instead of his own. The conversation that was being had between Sam and Cass goes quiet, and Sam looks over with those golden retriever eyes and Dean's little brother is smiling for the first time in a long time. Probably as long as it's been since Dean smiled, too. Sam nods his head just once to let know Dean he heard him, and then he's turning his attention back to Cass. 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 Cass, who is watching Dean across the few feet between them, something lingering and questioning in his eyes. Not exactly worried. Not exactly not worried. Just that look he gives Dean sometimes. That blue, heavy gaze. It makes Dean's lungs rattle like they want to escape. The same way that Dean's fingerprints want to fly off of his hands and onto Cass's stubbled cheek so that they can confirm Cass's solidity. Alive. Somehow. But like always, right? When has Cass not come back to him? Them. Dean meant them. He meant them, right? But Dean was the only one who wrapped the body. Dean was the one who dropped the lighter. Are you all right, Dean? Cass asks. Oh, he must have been staring. He blinks his now semi-dry eyes and swallows. Yeah, yeah, I'm fine. I'm just gonna... He gestures to the hallway leading out of the map room. Hit the hay. Dude, you already said that. Sam's eyebrows furrow. It's like Cass's worry is an infectious disease because now Sam looks worried too. Are you sure you're all right? Fine, Dean grunts. Unlike other times, it's not an outright lie. Now it's more of a not-truth, just because he isn't so sure how he feels at all. 
Maybe he really is fine. I mean, with Cass back, he's fucking ecstatic. But he wants. And that pill sits heavy in his stomach like a reminder of feelings that have always been there but now refuse to be padlocked into a cage. Been a fucking long day. Long few weeks, huh? I just need some shut-eye. If you say so, Sam replies dubiously. Cass is still watching him, even heavier somehow. Dean wants to blush. Dean wants to run away. Dean wishes he hadn't been a pussy for so long, and he wishes he could go back to being a pussy again, because at least he'd be able to ignore the unnamed urge to just touch Cass. Just touch his skin. But Cass doesn't say anything, and Dean... Well, see you in the morning. Then he turns on his heel and leaves the room before he makes an absolute dickhead of himself. He breathes, and he tries to make that enough. Laying down like this in his bed, there's nothing left to distract from this body or the ache of it that blooms upward like the mud from the bottom of a pond. It's always when you try to relax that the hurting's worse, he always thought. Whether it was a sprained ankle, or whoever you couldn't save that week, that year, that lifetime. Like it's all just waiting for Dean to let his guard down, pouncing when he's vulnerable. God, he just wants to go to sleep. He closes his sandpaper eyelids. Go to sleep. Go to sleep. Go to sleep. Cass is alive. Somewhere, probably just down the hall. Existing like that isn't a miracle, and like Dean wouldn't give anything to be close to him right now. A want that may as well be nothing because Dean is about the most emotionally inept dick on planet Earth, and if he can't even ask Cass to... Whatever. What would he ask if he could? Maybe he'd say, Just come in here and sit. Don't die again. If you die again, I'll kill you myself, you stupid bastard. Let me look at that mug so I know it's really you and you're really here and that you're really okay. You don't even know. You don't even know. That Dean had shriveled up dry over the years into some sort of hard shell that could barely be categorized as a person. But when Cass died... He may as well have been 26 all over again. Back when people still looked at him and called him a boy, even though he had been a man since the age of 10. He may as well have been that 26-year-old boy with all that easy hurting. Back when his shell was just a membrane and all the world and all the blood passed through him to the other side like he was nothing. He'd been nothing that lakeside night. And every day after... Every single day, regrowing a membrane that only held on to the misery. Until tonight. Maybe if Dean weren't such a coward, he really would track Cass down and say all of that to him. Right to Cass's face. But even the thought makes his stomach bear down in anxiety. When he gets scared, and yes, if he's going to admit the Cass thing to himself, he could admit the scared thing to himself. Even his kind words come out hostile. He'd look into Cass's eyes and he'd try to say, I missed you so much. But what would end up coming off of his lips would be, Don't do something stupid like that ever again. He wouldn't even mean it, you know. Of course not. He never means it. He just gets so scared. It would have been easier at the beginning when they still didn't know each other that well and they had this weird little dance of caring too much and being standoffish and pretending that there wasn't something when there was so obviously something. That is partially, mostly, Dean's fault, of course. Staring at his concrete wall, he takes another deep breath. That was all before Cass was Dean's best friend. 
That was before everything that ever really mattered happened. Flirting with a stranger is easy, but Cass isn't a stranger, and this isn't flirting. And Dean just wants to not think about the fact that Cass was dead less than 24 hours ago. The memory of these weeks is so entrenched in his bones that it hasn't even left yet. Where his femur and his clavicle and his ribcage still sing a morning song, like they still haven't received the good news. His lips pinch together against the way his eyes water. Why the hell is he crying? Cass is alive. If there's any night that shouldn't have waterworks, it's tonight. Stupid. Go to sleep. He doesn't even realize that he'd successfully gotten his heart rate to slow until it jumps like a jackrabbit startled in his chest when there's a knock on his bedroom door. At Dean's back, where he's facing away from it. Dean. Cass calls softly through the wood. Are you still awake? That jumping heart won't seem to, you know, stop jumping. Dean scowls down at his chest as he opens his mouth distractedly to respond to Cass. All that comes out is a croak. Any word, either an affirmation or not, seems trapped in his throat. He blinks and panic swells in him at the sensation of pressure on his chest. Maybe he wants to say yes so badly that he can't anymore. Terrified, shaking, he wants to say, yes, yes, come in. But he can't, and what if Cass leaves? What if Cass thinks Dean doesn't want to see him? Dean's lungs constrict and his lips move like a parched fish gasping for water, but he can't get any noise to come out. He can feel his own heart racing, his eyes blurring. Wait, Cass, don't leave, I'm awake. You were quiet earlier. You left quickly. There's a long pause. Dean thinks he hears Cass sigh, but that also might be his own stunted breathing. I wanted to make sure you were... All right. There's worry in that voice, sweaty and sweet like a honeydew apple, and it makes Dean's already pulsing heart flutter. Damn thing is about to take off out of his body and through the cement ceiling. He gasps for air that doesn't come, and his face is starting to get waterlogged a little. Helpless tears trickle from the corner of his eyes. Are you? Cass says, then falters. Is everything okay in there? No, resolutely, absolutely fucking not okay for whatever goddamn reason. But some of the crippling stretch loosens when he realizes Cass hasn't walked away from the door yet. Dean, I'm coming in. Yes, thank Christ. He tries his best to wiggle so that he's facing the door, his heavy limbs catching almost comically on the sheets and comforter, until all of the fabric tangles him up around his ankles, pulling on his junk under his armpits. When the door swings open, a block of rectangular light blasts him in the face. Great. This is so awesome. Cass's silhouette is the only thing Dean can make out with the extreme shift in brightness. Dean's eyes are squinted up, and he still can't breathe, and he can feel the blood rush red in his cheeks. Whatever picture he makes to Cass through the doorway must be pretty messy, because Cass is saying... Dean. He rushes into the room fully to kneel down beside Dean's bed. Big, worried eyes. That face that Dean was missing like a limb is now right there, so close that it's almost personal. Maybe his heart will be okay after all now that Cass is here. As long as Dean can stop his lungs from giving him all this trouble. What's wrong? Are you hurt? That stern voice that's warm like a blackberry bush. His frantic gaze meets Dean's whose dark view of the room and of Castiel's expression is watery at the edges. Dean, what's happening? I don't know, Dean thinks, something panicked in the wires of his own brain. I don't know what's happening. I was just laying here, I promise. I just wanted to tell you to come in, but then I couldn't. I... In lieu of words, he finds himself shaking his head. He opens his mouth, and his voice box feels fine but the pressure on his chest won't allow him the leverage needed to speak. Instead, he just sort of stares at Cass and breathes really hard. How can he say more than the words that don't even capture a fraction of the pain? You were dead. Three words that are too weak to hold up the agony. 
Cass, you were dead and you weren't coming back. I know because I burned the body. Okay, all right, you don't need to speak. It's all right, I'll, I'll just... And then Cass is holding up a glowing hand that he moves over the vague shape of Dean's body under the tangle of his bedsheets. I can't sense anything wrong. Nothing malignant or even duress of natural causes. I don't... I don't know what's happening. You didn't see how bad I got. Too much devastation to be washed away with so little time. Cass has only been alive again for a few hours, and the trench that that night left in Dean is going to take much longer to fill. Maybe that's what's happening right now, his body turning into a sinkhole that is slowly but surely piling in, creating a vacuum in its wake. Panic that Cass isn't even really here, and panic for the fact that he really is. Cass, man, it's not actually as bad as it seems. I think I'm having a panic attack. Cass's eyebrows furrow. He makes a point to hold eye contact with Dean, even though Dean can't seem to keep still, even though he's sure it looks like there's nothing going on upstairs. Cass still holds his eyes. Cass still looks at him and sees him under his messy face and tender cheeks. It's the most comforting thing anyone has ever offered Dean in his life. Dean, I think you're having a panic attack. Dean sort of wants to laugh, but that requires air, so he settles on nodding in agreement instead. Is that what's happening? He nods again. Some of the alarm droops out of Cass's expression, but it leaves behind a residue of concern in its wake. Cass's head tilts to the side as if to put himself on the same plane of existence as Dean's horizontal body, the line of their noses becoming parallel instead of perpendicular. Again, it's like Cass is trying to get to Dean just through his eyes, just by acknowledging the fact that Dean is there at all, inside his sweaty, malfunctioning shell. Bottom lip trembling, Dean tries to focus on the calm of Cass's presence. A breath in, a breath out. It's all still so tight. What can I do to help? Cass asks. Would it be better if I stayed, or would you like privacy? Dean's arm snaps out to grab onto the khaki fabric that is loose around Cass's wrist. Don't! Dean manages. He squeezes his eyes up tight, and he clenches his jaw until the tension makes his chin jut forward, and he has to swallow hard before he can get out. Cass, just... He breathes as well as he can. Give me a second, okay? Of course. Dean's not so much gasping anymore as he is panting, too afraid to open his eyes and see Cass's face so close, to not be able to do anything about it. But he wants to, badly, shaking. He feels like a little kid shoved on the playground with scraped-up knees, the way he wants to cry and cry. It's worse knowing that he's the only one who can do anything about it when he knows he's not actually brave enough to. The room is so quiet that Dean's ragged breathing is its own character in the scene. He hasn't opened his eyes yet, but Cass's sleeve is still between his fingers, and he can feel Cass's heavy gaze on him. Dean takes in as much air as he can to propel his whisper. Don't leave. All right, Cass says gently. Dean wonders what expression is on that severe face. I'm not going to leave. You promise? God, he's so tired. Tired in the physical sense of the fact that his muscles are already starting to ache from fatigue. Tired from wanting so badly to reach out and then just never quite doing it. This is the closest he's ever gotten, holding on to Cass's sleeve. They're both quiet for a long moment. I'm sorry that I can't do more. I... Cass pauses. The hesitation is what finally coaxes Dean into opening his eyes. When Cass notices, he stoops down to deliberately look at Dean again. Would it be... He stops like he realizes asking Dean anything past a yes or no question is going to be a little futile. Perhaps it would help if we went through breathing cycles together. Habit tells Dean that this is some chick flick shit, and if he was actually any sort of man, he wouldn't need another dude to help regulate his breathing cycle. 
The same habit tells him that strong guys like him don't have panic attacks in the first place. And the same habit tells Dean that he should have let go of Cass's trench coat a long time ago. But the thought of following the habitual distancing between himself and Cass makes Dean want to cry harder than just the side dish of tears that he's letting out now. No, no, the pill that cures habit got swallowed the night Cass died. So for once, Dean gives in to the tiny voice inside of him that just wants. Just wants so quietly that it's almost a secret even to his own nervous system. He feels shy when he nods. Somehow that blushing reaction is important enough that it overrides the immediate alarm of his lungs locking up. Talk about chick flick. The squirming in his stomach is worth it, though, when Cass seems much more pleased than confused. They're both still looking at each other, and even though they've always sort of been the staring type, this feels so much more physical than it ever has in the past. And then Cass is saying, Just follow my lead. He inhales deeply into his nose for a five count of seconds before he exhales at the same measured pace. It should feel patronizing, but there's not a single condescending bone in Cass's body. So all that is left behind in the tide of his breathing is deep care. Deep care for Dean, somehow, even after everything. Dean tries to manually match his own breathing to the pace of Cass's, and it's harder than it should be. He can't seem to catch his breath for long enough to slow it. Each inhale, exhale, is a rapid pant, even as he tries to rein it in. He scowls. It's going to take a minute. Cass reasons like he can read the frustration on Dean's face word for word. He probably can. He is Dean's best friend, after all. When Cass takes another deep, demonstrative breath, Dean tries again. You're doing very well, Dean. If nothing else, Dean's really fucking glad his face is already blotchy red from all the excitement, because otherwise his blush would have been visible from Mars. Inhale. Cass says calmly before doing just that. And exhale. Again, Dean's attempt at mimicking the pace is stunted and awkward at best. Still, he does it three more times. Is this helping at all? If not, we can just sit quietly. Dean nods. Helping, of course it's helping. Not just in the follow-the-leader way. But in the sense that Cass is right here in front of Dean's eyes, breathing like he was never dead. But he was dead. Last night at this same time, there was still a shell where Dean's body was supposed to be because Cass was nothing but ash at the bottom of a pyre. Oh, God. Cass was dead. Really dead. His chest starts to tighten up against all the progress he had just been making with Cass's help, and he swallows hard against it. He remembers the burnt brand of Castiel's feathers in the loose dirt. He remembers the way Cass's eyes had been closed like he was just sleeping, not... not a bloody hole right through Cass's middle, the way those little spots of red had looked so innocuous on the white dress shirt. The hand that's still wrapped up in the khaki of Cass's sleeve, that Cass hasn't acknowledged or tried to shake off, now moves in an attempt to hold on to Cass's actual hand. Dean's fingers are clammy with sweat, and they're as uncoordinated and shaky as the rest of his body is so it takes him longer than it should to get a good grip. Then they're holding hands. Finally. He thinks like it'll burst out of him right alongside his heart. Finally. He realizes that Cass is watching him in alarm. Dean. Don't do something that stupid ever again. What comes out is... I gasping. Missed you. Somehow, Cass's expression both pinches and softens at the same time. Dean. I missed you. And now Dean is playground scraped knees crying. You were... You... I was... Dead. Dean chokes through a scowl. 
I had to burn. I had to. This makes Castiel's hand tighten up around Dean's own. Both of them are clutching at each other through the minuscule contact now. But I'm all right now. The way Cass says it sits between a statement and a question. A confusion to Dean's reaction, which seems entirely belated in its mourning because it is. I'm right here. Dean can't do anything other than shake his head. Cass might be here, but so are the memories of when he wasn't. Absent, with no hope of stitching that hole back up, bleeding out with every step Dean took. It makes him scowl harder. I know that. He tries to pull his hand away, but the weak protest is stopped when Cass holds on even tighter. Do you? He's looking through Dean again with those fleece eyes. Dean, who still hasn't stopped crying. Because I'm here, Dean. Alive in some way, shape, or form, despite what's happened. I'm alive. Cass isn't just alive. He's solid. He's kneeling there at Dean's bedside altogether in one piece, a harsh silhouette against the glow of the doorway behind him. His blue eyes and straight nose in shadow. His eyelashes reaching out towards Dean's face because they're physically here in this room. There's no blood on his white dress shirt. The khaki of his jacket isn't singed from the flames that swallowed up his corpse. Dean had spread the ashes afterward. Just Dean. Sam had stayed home. And even though he'd mostly been doing it for himself, just to even further put off saying goodbye to Cass for good, he genuinely had thought that Cass would enjoy a good rest beside that windmill and underneath that direct sunlight. Like if Dean had closed his eyes and just listened to the birds and to the blades of the mill churning easy through the warm air, he could imagine Cass laying down in the tall grass for a catnap. Cass deserved a good, safe place to sleep. Now, Dean is more grateful than ever that he took all that time deciding on Cass's burial site, because it means that the first thing Cass saw when he was welcomed back to the world of the living was a meadow, was a windmill, was the sunlight. Inhaling through his mouth because his nose is clogged from crying, eyebrows pulled up together, Dean repeats, You're alive. I'm alive. Cass agrees. I'm right here. You're right here. Dean is crushing Cass's hand so tightly that he can feel the thin bone shifting under his skin, knuckles forced in close proximity. He tries to brand the words into himself. You're right here. The breathing is coming easier now. Mm. Cass hums, and then they're both quiet again. Dean clenches his eyes shut for a second and focuses on the cool air of the bunker against his irritatingly sweaty face. His cheeks are red-hot and tender, and his lungs aren't in much better shape in the aftermath of his little stunt, but they aren't actively fighting back anymore. He clears his throat because he isn't sure what else to do, how to get out the words he wants to say but that he keeps getting repelled from like opposite sides of a magnet. The noise makes Cass's fingers squeeze around his and suddenly Dean can't think of anything other than the fact that they're still holding hands. Um, Dean blurts. Did you, I mean, was the waking up okay? Didn't have to crawl your way out of from any pine boxes. Cass huffs a laugh the way that Dean had hoped he would. When Dean opens his eyes back up, Cass is smiling. No. No pine boxes. I was fortunate enough that someone thought to put me somewhere peaceful and above ground. Dean chuckles, and it's a nervous sound because of how earnest it is. Yeah, <laughs> set you up with something nice. Little house on the prairie, huh? Except the windmill is more caddyshack, I guess. I drove around a little bit to find it. He's getting choked up again from the thickness in his throat. Spread your ashes out. Thought that burying an urn might make you feel too confined or something, you know. That's about as honest as he can get right now. Even though in his head, he adds, I wanted you to have some room to stretch your wings out, shake some tail feather. At least if you were dead, maybe you could be a little freer than you ever got to be on Earth. 
but even with what hadn't been said, Cass is still looking at Dean strangely. I appreciate the thought. They stare at each other. More words left unspoken bubble in Dean's throat, banging on the back of his teeth to get out. You can't do it again, Cass. Both eyebrows raised. Do what? Leave me. Die. Dean, I don't think that's a promise that's even reasonable to make, considering the lives we lead. Or the fact that everything dies eventually. Or the assumption that I'll have any input at all on whether I die or not when I end up dying. I don't really give a damn about reasonable. Jesus, just... So you want me to make a promise that both of us know I won't be able to keep? Cass asks with genuine confusion. That's the straw that cold cocks the camel over the head for some reason. The idea that Cass really doesn't get it still. That Dean is trying so hard to make Cass understand, but at the same time is so fucking ashamed, afraid, cowardly that he won't put any real words to what he's feeling. Instead, he makes Cass play the guessing game again. And where's that going to get them? Five years down the road, Dean looking back on this exact night and thinking that it's the only time he ever got to hold Cass's hand. The only time Cass sat in his bedroom. The way that bed felt even more empty after Cass vacated the premises. I'm saying I'm about good for shit if you're not here, Cass. So, so you can't pull a stunt like that again. But, oh my god, I need you, okay? The sharp rise in volume surprises both of them as they blink at each other in the aftermath. Part of Dean can't even believe that he actually said it. The last time he was ever this honest is when he was on his knees while Cass beat him to a pulp. When Dean didn't know which words he was saying in order to stay alive, and which words he was saying because he needed Cass to hear them, if Dean was so murdered that he wouldn't have another chance to let Cass know how he felt. Now there isn't any blood involved, and there's no angels to meddle in this nighttime moment. It's just Cass looking back at him, brows pulled together. You need me. Having the words repeated back to him makes the tips of his ears turn red, but still he responds. Yes. Then it looks like something is clicking in Cass's brain, and yes, yes. Because I am your family, Cass says reasonably and you need your family to be safe and content in order to feel content yourself. He nods in satisfaction. It's almost funny, except for the panic attack that is still a relevant memory in Dean's body. He can't take it anymore. Not with the pill swallowed. Not with Cass alive. Oh my god, Cass is alive. Letting go of the cramping hold on Cass's hand, Dean's sweaty palm finds a way up, up to cradle the side of Cass's neck. It's a position that they've been in before, but never alone like this. Never in the dark like this. Cass is a quiet shadow with the light from the doorway illuminating him from behind, its yellow glow kissing at his temples and the high points of his cheeks. Adine wishes he could keep the ball rolling on his courage for long enough to say I love you in place of that I need you. But the closest he gets is, Get in my bed. Cass's gaze darts down to Dean's wrist that's right beside his chin before it darts to Dean's mattress, before it darts to Dean again. When he swallows, Dean can feel the movement of his neck tendons under his palm. Cass is fighting with himself in his head based on the frown taking over his mouth. When he exhales, his breath is even shakier than Dean's. His eyelids flutter closed. I think what you are offering means something different to you than it would to me. Somehow Dean knows that this is the confirmation that Cass has swallowed the same pill that Dean has. The pill that turns whatever hangs in the air between them into a sugar-coated fondness that is felt. His heart, which had finally slowed from the painful full throttle to something resembling normal, now picks up again, while the beating wings of tiny moths flutter against the lining of Dean's stomach. Cass's eyes are still closed, and Dean's hand is still on his neck, and Dean is leaning in ever so slowly. The inches between them whittled down with the movement, compacting on themselves into a higher density. And Dean is so close now, and Cass doesn't even seem to realize just how close. Dean's lips brush Castiel's. Cass jolts back with a gasp as his eyes fly open, 
wide and blue and beautiful. But Dean isn't far behind, leaning even further off his mattress to chase after the inch or two that Cass's movements had put back between them. The touching of their lips is so gentle that it's not even a kiss, more like a secret. Yes, like the tiniest, most terrified part of Dean is whispering to Cass, I love you, even if Dean can't get his voice box to say it. It means what you think it means, and it ain't because your family, trust me. Dean breathes. Finally. Finally. With their faces this close, it's not possible for Cass to actually look at him, and that gives him enough courage to add, Come to bed so I can give you a hug. Maybe not enough courage to say or even think the word cuddle. You are being serious. Dean would make a joke to lighten the mood, but Cass sounds like his internal world is shifting. So Dean settles on. I'm being serious. He's leaning out of Cass's orbit to lay his head back down on his pillow, and it's only then that he realizes that his body has finally neutralized its panic. It still aches from where he'd been so tense, and his chest still hurts, but it might as well be as painful as a bug bite, because Cass is looking at him like Dean is something miraculous. Cass's long, tan fingers raise to touch his own lips, while his eyes hold on to Dean's. No self-consciousness or embarrassment, just wonder that dazzles in little sparks. Then he's clearing his throat, dropping his hand back into his lap. I should take off my jacket, then. You should, yeah. Cass stands and shirks his jacket off of his shoulders. Let's gravity take it the rest of the way down his arms until he can shrug out of it completely. It's not quite haphazard bundling, but it's not exactly pristine folding either, where Cass makes the coat smaller between his hands. He bends at the waist to set it down on the floor, and while he's in the position, he picks at the laces of his shoes, taking off the right and then the left. He looks up at Dean then as though to get approval. Take off the socks, too. Only freaks sleep in socks. I don't sleep. Yeah, well, I do, and I don't want your scratchy, low-quality polyester socks rubbing against my shins. Cass blinks at him. Dean has missed that so much. The weird little things that Cass does, not because anyone taught him to do them, but just because he does them. And he doesn't respond to Dean's request vocally, instead wordlessly pulling his socks off his feet and stuffing them down into the open mouths of his shoes. He looks at Dean again. Dean licks his lips, still dry from the battle with his lungs. Lose the tie and blazer. Again, Cass wordlessly obeys. Dean isn't sure exactly what he feels about it, whether it's something shy or something aroused or something fond, but it's something all right. Especially when Cass stands there in all his glory and nothing but his white dress shirt and black slacks. Dean wonders if he asked Cass to take those off too, if he would. That's for another night. Okay, you passed the test. You can enter my realm now. When Cass takes a step closer to do just that, Dean realizes he's still lying in his own sweat puddle. Wait, actually, could you mojo the sheets clean first? My freakout made them gross. You didn't have a freakout. Your body was just processing everything that's happened, Cass says sternly as he put his fingertips on the edge of Dean's mattress which happens to be a lot. Suddenly, the little nest of sheets and a comforter around him feel like they just came out of the dryer. Dean ignores Cass's words in favor of snuggling down into the fresh linen, closing his eyes with it. Fuck, that's awesome. Should I? Cass starts before his voice trails off. He makes Dean look up at him blearily, just to find Cass's timid eyes watching him. Uh-huh. Dean nods dumbly. Then Cass is rounding the bed to the area of the mattress at Dean's back that's still free. Dean flops over onto his other side and holds up the corner of the comforter, watching as Cass climbs up onto the bed. The silence is charged with good things, but it is charged nonetheless as Cass lies down fully, leaving just inches between their bodies and faces. They've sort of kissed already, but it feels like they haven't. It feels like Dean's never been this close to Cass before ever. You said. 
Cass peers through his soft eyelashes. Something about a hug. The breath in Dean's lungs compresses comically, like the farting noise a balloon makes when you squeeze the air out of it. I was, yeah, yes, gonna do that. I'll just... He scooches a little closer, their knees knocked together under the blanket, nervous even as he knows that Cass won't turn him down, won't push him away. Dean carefully wraps his left arm around Cass's ribcage, right below his armpit. He uses the leverage of that hold to pull them even closer together, and Cass's arms snake their way around him in return. Dean turns his head until it slots into the divot of Cass's neck, and maybe he wasn't wrong about not calling this cuddling earlier, because it's much less like cuddling and much more like a horizontal hug. The skin of Cass's neck smells perpetually like Jimmy's aftershave mixed with the cleanliness of air from prehistoric times. Inhale. Exhale. It all smells like Cass. Cass, who is breathing from his own rhythm next to Dean's ear. They stay still like that for a long, drawn-out moment, where every sensation is so worth taking in that Dean feels like he will never be able to examine every detail the way he wants to. There is something about being this warm and being held. Dean hasn't been held since Mary died, the first time. Even though Dean is doing the holding, too, there is very little argument that Cass is holding him right back. He moves so slowly when he pulls his head from its hiding spot, tilting it up in a way that twinges at the muscles in his neck so he can press his lips onto the highest point of Cass's cheek, right where his face ends and his ear is about to begin. Dean swallows hard but doesn't move away. His heartbeat races so differently now from the way it had raced before. Lips pushing out. What was once a prolonged presence of lips turns into a kiss. When he pulls away, the pucker of it makes a soft noise. So, you can't do that shit again, okay? Dean mumbles. I get a little pathetic when you die. Yes, I... I think I'd be similarly distraught if anything happened to you. So are you going to promise or not? How about we compromise? I'll promise to do my best not to die, if you also try your best not to die. As it seems in the past, I haven't been the only one carelessly throwing myself into harm's way. Dean snorts against Cass's neck. Fair. Okay, I promise. I also promise, Cass says solemnly. It's uncomfortably close to something like wedding vows, but when Cass breathes onto Dean's shoulder... Suddenly, the idea of promises doesn't seem so scary. Good, because I need you. This time, it's like Cass can finally read between the lines, between Dean's vocal cords to the place where he keeps his trembling honesty. There's a chill that runs down Dean's spine when Cass kisses the tendon under his ear like it's something precious. I need you, too. Dean blinks back more tears, and God, he hasn't cried this many times in one day ever. He hears what Cass really means. He hears the I love you in there the same way he heard it in his own voice. Okay, cool, that's good. And Cass just laughs at him. You should hit the hay. I was told by a reliable source earlier that you've been rather pathetic these last few weeks. Dean grunts. Maybe. He buried his nose into Cass's neck again anyway. Now don't get any funny ideas about getting up in the middle of the night. I don't let just anyone sleep on my memory foam, and I know you don't pee. Of course not. But even if I did move. Cass's arms squeeze around Dean, as though to emphasize their proximity to each other. You'd be the first to know. More silence like a blanket. Dean's eyes are so heavy, and after everything, his whole family is safe and content, so Dean is content, too. Not like Cass had exactly been wrong about that anyway. Cass, he whispers. Hmm. I'm really glad you're home. A hand pets across the back of Dean's head, through his hair to the nape of his neck, and Dean feels 26 years old with it. As am I not to mention I was rather pleased with my welcome back. Yeah, I'm sure you were, big boy. 
go to sleep, Dean. The end. Thank you so much for listening. I'm waiting on saving all my precious time. Losing light. I'm missing my same old us before we learned our truth too late. Resigned so fade, faded away. So tell me, can you turn? Around, I need someone to tell me down. Or tell me, can you turn around? But either way, hold me while you wait. I wish that I was good enough. If only I could wake you up, my love, my love, my love, my love. Tell me more, tell me something I don't know Did we come close to having it all? If you're gonna waste my time Let's waste it right and hold me while you wait Thank you so much for your support. I can be contacted on Twitter, Tumblr, or at makingitupaswegopod at gmail.com. If you are able, please go to the author's AO3 story and give comments and kudos to them for sharing this with us. The link is in the show notes. This will also be posted on AO3 as a podfic under my username, and the link will be in the show notes as well. As always, thank you so much for listening.